0: Good afternoon everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode number 34, and today Maggie and I are going to return to our discussion of the Peter Jackson films, which I think we're going to be doing intermittently for who knows, quite for a while. The rest of our lives. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, that's true, pre- presumably.
1: Well, I feel um, like I'm like already too overwhelmed with this entire conversation because it's like, you know, what you've wanted to talk about for 20 odd years. Yeah. So you first start talking about it and it's like um, Where do we begin? Right. Yeah, so I hope this is the one of many.
0: Right. It's exactly. It's more like an
1: introduction to the introduction.
0: It is. It is. And so, and I've been reflecting on something ever since last time. I was realizing that I, so I have a, a realization about my own patterns, which has led me to a theory, a uh, sort of a more general theory. Uh, well, let's see what you think. So, I find. I was yeah, you know, and reflecting back upon our discussion from last time, I realized that I was it's so easy for me to slip back into cataloging differences, yes. you know, just being like it's different in that way, oh it's yeah, but it's different in this other way, um like once you start asking those questions, like once you start thinking in those terms, it just it just keeps coming, right um and And And
1: there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Observing the differences is is totally fine.
0: Yeah, it's totally fine. Um, But I find the more I get myself into that mentality, the harder it is to, like, obey my own first dictum about, about adaptations, which is that you have to consider it as a work of art on its own if you can't, if you don't get past merely observing, these are the ways in which it's different, yeah. um, and, and instead say, okay, right, good, but hang on a sec. for a moment, forget the original, and what is actually happening in the film itself, so that then we can make an educated comparison, then you're not doing, you're 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 not getting anywhere, you're not really gonna, you're not really treating it as what it deserves to be viewed as, which is a work of art on its own.
1: But also, I've I similarly have been thinking about this a lot since last week. It has been real interesting to just see it through different eyes, too. You know, so I, f- I feel like this is no matter who you go to the cinema with and you watch it with different people, you get different perspectives. But doing this alongside you, when you told me coming into it that you really followed a bell curve of loving, mm-hmm. hating, loving this. No, hating, mm-hmm. loving, hating this. Yes. Hate's a bit strong at the end. Came yeah, from hate
0: case. way yeah. strong at the end. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but it's it was because I rewatched it again um over the last two nights and rewatching it with kind of your voice in my head and having the very minimal mentions of Morgoth and the very minimal mentions mm-hmm. of all these other things that obviously now I know a whole lot more about it's just been like oh oh I can see how this would really take you off <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, you know? it, it, like, some, yeah. I just
1: came to it and enjoyed the story and they did such a good job I have very few qualms with it because they just pulled off this incredible storytelling mm-hmm. ability and but when you know what it came from and what they skipped over and how they adapted things, it's hard to not notice that.
0: It's hard I mean, to not notice it's it. and really that's,
1: hard for those changes to not be yes. obnoxiously Yes.
0: Obvious. And that's something that led me to another really interesting question, which was why is it because this has been true from the beginning and it's hard because it's not apples to apples, but like, why is it that I, I actually struggle still to this day, struggle more, with the Peter Jackson films, as far as like not sliding into that, but they did that wrong, but they changed that. Oh wait, I don't like that because it's different. Um, I struggle more with that with the Peter Jackson films than I do the Rings of Power.
1: Well, you've had 20 years to grow as a watcher. That's
0: that's one reason why it's not yeah. apples to apples, right? Yeah. Um, but But I think also, on reflection, I believe that part of it is simply the fact that the Peter Jackson films are a retelling adaptation and the Rings of Power are not. Like, Mm, I know that they're filling in the gaps, right? Yeah. Um, And this is one of the reasons why I have also found the kind of like, I'm gonna catalog differences response to the Rings of Power frankly puzzling because there's almost nothing nothing to to catalog differences from. There's no source text directly, I mean, mean, it's it's not comparable.
1: You could literally create spreadsheets from fellowship to fellowship, right? Yeah. Like you could say, oh, here's yeah. the line from the text and here's what they showed on screen. In fact, people have done that.
0: Right. So like that right. exists.
1: You can't do that with Rings of Power.
0: You can't because there's no, there's no analog. Uh, and I mean, it's not to say that you can't notice that there are differences from what writings Tolkien has done. You know, there are things that they've changed and you can notice those changes. And you can even be very sensitive to some of those changes. Or, I mean, you can be as sensitive as you like to any change, I suppose. But, um, but it, I, I find the experience very, very different in that way. Mm-hmm. And but I'm wondering, I wonder if maybe that's me. That is like, I wonder if different people struggle differently. Like for me, I struggle more with retelling adaptations. Like if it's if it's setting out to say, like, I'm doing that story, then it automatically sets me into like, OK, I'm taking notes. Like, I'm ready. And again, I feel the same way, and I know, and I know my wife feels even more strongly the same way whenever we watch an Austin adaptation, right? It's, if they claim... To be doing a retelling, if they're like, okay, here is Mansfield Park, we're like, oh, all right, we've got our Mansfield Park hats on, we know what yep. to expect, and we're we're ready for it. And and anything you do, like you change the name of Lady Bartram's dog, and we're gonna be on you <laughs> like a yep. dog on a pork chop, right? I mean, like it's yep. like it's it's like that's. Well, the then, mentality like, that's right. what you
1: expect like I, I've definitely worked this into talks before but like one of the first drafts of the Twilight adaptation before the one that we know was mm-hmm. where Bella's a track star at Brigham Young University and Edward right. is a convict on the run from the FBI no right. mention of vampires in that whole thing like why do you call it <laughs> Twilight you know there's there's so many versions of scripts like that where it's like why are you even calling it the same thing that's a totally different story and you're only gonna piss right. off the people it's attached to right. but yeah so, like, yeah that exists
0: yeah yeah I and again so, definitely- I, yeah i mean I, I in other words like basically the the discipline that i've been trying to build over the last 20 years is like actively detaching that you know yeah. like pushing the clutch pedal down and detaching from that gear entirely and just trying not to go there in my head as much as possible and instead just be like okay oh look you know, here's a movie which happens to be called Mansfield Park. Uh, Oh, and look, and there's a character who happens to be named Fanny Price, but I'm not thinking about Fanny Price from the book. I'm trying to just think about the Fanny Price character that they're building in this story, Um, and I'm going to try to wait to do my comparisons and contrasts until after I see what they're doing and how it works, because this is that's really the problem, right? The problem is if you just, if you start knocking it for every difference that exists. You don't see the cost and benefits. I mean, each each of those changes is a choice. Mm-hmm. Right. And each of those choices comes with costs and benefits. And you, you, you don't see the benefits. You feel the costs, but you don't see the benefits. Yeah. Um, and it may well be that the story is that the film story is doing something different, something interesting, or even approaching a similar thing from a different angle because it has mm-hmm. to take a different route there uh, through the storytelling. Um, anyway, but and those are the kinds of things that, like, once you get into cataloging mode, you just you just you can't see, you literally can't see it because yeah, you're not seeing the, the film.
1: Yeah, and I think that's like, you know, the one of the things we talked about with book versus film, film versus book, which do you go first and all of that, like, I think that's one of the cases where it becomes most clear, like, if I watch a film first, and then read a book, I tend to get so much more out of the book, and it's completely separate mm-hmm. to the thing that I just watched, because you have so much more content coming at you. So the visuals that I'm like, creating in my head, there's a bunch of uh, theorists that talk about this Deborah Cartmel and Amelda, not Amelda Staunton, that's the actress. Amelda Wellahan. Right. Um, Imelda Staunton is the
0: actress who played uh, the, uh, Queen. the Queen Umbridge. Umbridge. Yeah, that's what yeah. Was like. she, she was yeah. killing it as Queen Elizabeth, oh, by she the way, amazing. in The Crown. Anything really, really she good. does,
1: just magical. Yeah. But she yeah. does not discuss adaptation theory, so that's Amelda that's Wellahan. <laughs> <You're> um, right. <laughs> but they talk a lot, and uh, Ian Hunter is the other one, uh, they all talk about, like, if you watch something and you see, like The Daily Prophet is the example they use, you see The mm-hmm. Daily Prophet from Harry Potter on screen, then you didn't have the freedom to create that in your own mind. And you lose a lot of that personal attachment to the text. So a lot of people who see films first and then read the books can absolutely still become fans, but there isn't this like possessiveness that tends to come from books first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with Tolkien and Rings of Power versus Fellowship, Fellowship, we're doing this major comparison. Yes. And I've owned this text (laughs) Big book fan that you know person yeah. X is yeah. for fifty plus years, whereas right. Rings of Power, like I don't know, some people probably can get just as angry about that because they think they are that Tolkien person and therefore know it better than anyone on the planet could adapt it mm-hmm. to be. But it is just you know, yeah, like but, you said, it's not apples to apples, but
0: that's a not insignificant demographic. But but, but I agree, it's it's yeah. it's not the same situation, and you know you know you're right. I think. I'm one of those people because I've had a sort of, you know, I've had a, a pretty shameless book bias over films most, you know, most of my life. Right. Um, I've always from my goodness, like high school on basically had the rule that, like, I never wanted to watch an adaptation until I'd read the book. So if, yeah. I, you know, I yeah. was going and to that's see how something feel
1: about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, unless it was something I was totally not committed, you know. Like yeah. really invested in at all, but like I, I usually, I'm like, oh, no, 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 hang on, I'm I'm, I'm gonna wait. I'm waiting till I read the book. I'm waiting till I have read the book. I think I'm gonna change that rule. I, I think I, I, th- I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna undertake. I'm gonna like when when I find myself in that situation, I'm going to deliberately choose uh, to watch the film first and then read the book second.
1: Yeah, I mean, like sometimes you don't have that luxury, and if it's something I'm working on or something, I I most likely will have done the book first because then you do get to pull out that kind of level of of microscopic inspection but Mm -hmm. we're not just talking enjoyment heck yeah i'm gonna watch the film first and then get my own personal special features dvd when i read the book because it's so much more information
0: right right and it
1: takes out i mean you have the visuals from the film in your head but i do think it takes out some of the other stuff that i don't find the changes because if you use the film as the primary text i don't find the changes that jarring because you have so much time to lead up Whatever mm-hmm. it is, it makes sense. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, just the fact that there's a Tom Bombadil in the book, I'm not like, wait, what? Well, I am a little bit.
0: He's a bit odd. But <laughs> well, most people have that reaction most to Tom Bombadil. Have that reaction anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Poor choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But 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 I see exactly what you mean. I see exactly what you mean, and that is uh, that is that is interesting. So anyway, so all of this is a, a sort of preamble um, up to saying that, um, I, I want to return when we, as we return here to our Peter Jackson discussion, I want to make sure I'm doing the thing. (laughs) I'm going back and looking at the film and talking about the film, um, and thinking about, thinking about the choices that they've made first and foremost on their own terms. Um, following my own advice, I have been advising people and through the discussions of the rings of power, um, to think strongly twice before using words like right and wrong. Um, you know, like they got that wrong. No, they wrong. changed a thing. And mm-hmm. you can decide if you can make an educated decision on whether or not you think that change to be... Good or bad, advantageous or disadvantageous, um, but uh, I, I, it's it's not about right and wrong. It's about it's about yeah. similarity and difference. It's about uh, it's about comparison Interpretation
1: and contrast and meaning and you know, exactly all, these other all things. those things.
0: So, um, but but even apart from using words like right and wrong, um, I'm going to so let's let's do the thing where so we were we were wanting to focus in on a couple characters and then on a couple segments of the film yeah. to do to, to kind of dig a little bit deeper we've been speaking very generally um bringing up a few examples here and there but we wanted to be a little bit um a little bit more systematic well not exactly systematic we're not going I mean, through the whole film scene by scene we're gonna, but
1: systematic we're gonna try we're, we're gonna I go a little, saying- just
0: a little deeper yeah
1: I was also saying to Corey, I find this really difficult to discuss film when I can't like freeze frame stuff because you know every time I did it for Rings of Power, you're watching a scene and I'm talking about it as we go, but then I was like, oh wait, we're gonna do that. So we're gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, we we are working. We have plans
0: for that. Yeah. 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 (laughs)
1: So for this, we're just going to use some images that I pulled and apologies if they're maybe from a game or maybe from low resolution. I literally did it six minutes before this, before <laughs> we started up
0: tonight. <laughs> yeah. So we want to we begin with a discussion of Elrond, Elrond's character. Um, so first, first let's think about the Peter Jackson film and the character of Elrond that they establish. It's important I think that we first see him in the prologue, right? Very important because of all of the characters we see in the prologue, we only get a few points of contact with the rest of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Galadriel with her voiceover and her brief appearance in mm-hmm. accepting an elven ring and then Elrond on the battlefield, right? Um, mm-hmm. So his, he is established by the film as a piece of visual continuity between the past and the present. And he is one of those two uh, sort of historical anchors, that the film gives us. There aren't any others. I think it's just the two of them. The other elves that they give are all dead by the third age, and so they're yeah. all like extras. And,
1: and he's kind of the primary resource because he's not just sharing a memory from when he was alive. He was physically next to him at door, trying to get him to throw the ring in.
0: Mm hmm. hmm. Exactly. Yeah, we saw him. And, and, and so that, yes, that comes in the flashback when he's talking to Gandalf, right? Mm-hmm. The. You know, when yeah. he's explaining the his, it's, it's kind of an, an extension of his men are weak discussion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that he segues to the, I was there, Gandalf mm-hmm. and, and okay. So. Word for word. Right. So through that moment, we get the, so the sort of reminder, right? We see him again. And just in case we've forgotten him from the prologue, we see him back with Isildur there at Mount Doom. Um, uh interesting also thinking remembering off the top of my head the difference between Elrond who's standing and giving orders in the line of uh, battle mm. there at the beginning and Elrond in the cracks of doom right at, at the cracks of doom with Isildur he's all bloody and dirty and mm-hmm. beat up right When I mean it's, it's post immediately post battle right um uh, so you can see this is Elrond who has suffered and been through a lot uh, yeah. there. That, that's that's clearly the context that they're... And, and the the way that it's... Am I, Maggie, you, you will remember all this stuff better than I do, but we'll doesn't it f- like fade back into his modern face? The cut from the flashback to the... I don't remember. Is, it's, it's something pretty... I mean, like, I feel like we get a pretty clear visual juxtaposition between... I do feel
1: like it's a match... Almost a match. I can't remember. I'm gonna. Have to, I'm gonna watch it last night. I'm gonna have to take a look at that scene specifically. But I definitely remember the super extreme close up of cast it into the fire and right. the next thing. Destroy is it. His face. Yes. Yeah. Isildur. Right.
0: And then we return to his face as he's look as he's talking to Gandalf. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, again, showing the continuity, showing also that you know the progress of time. He doesn't look older. Right. He's not supposed to look older. Um, but, you know, even though now he's all cleaned up and looking like the Lord of Rivendell, he, um, you know, it is the emotion is still there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the rawness of that, like his opinion of men, right? And what he grounds his opinions of, of men on is still clearly like the, the impression I get from that scene. It's all boiling right under the surface still,
1: And that's what I started thinking about with this viewing because now obviously we've seen Rings of Power and just the comparison of like the Elrond of Jackson and the Elrond Rings of Power is just interesting because you're like, oh, he's, you know, a young politician aspiring, you know, upstart kind of you go get him uh, jaunty humor versus the terrifying, really resigned kind of heavy anger. And then being able to look at the span of time that Elrond has covered and what yes. he's carried with him for so long, it just makes a lot of sense. And I know these two didn't work together, but in terms of characterization and how they're projected, I thought it was really well done. You know, we've got this yeah. massive arc of this innocent, light, happy go lucky kind of guy who obviously Elrond has, young Elrond has his own demons and stuff, but we don't really have a lot of that in the first season of Rings of Power. It's all optimism and friendship and flat-out joy sometimes, and then you yeah. carry that through to Elrond towards the end.
0: He does not... Um, he just... Young Elrond does not yet have any of the scars right. that old Elrond has, and that's what is, like, is emphasized, right? You and know? I can't
1: picture young Elrond leading battle, you know? He just doesn't he right. strike me as any kind of antagonistic, vicious right. warrior, you know?
0: Right, and we're obviously going to get there, not only because you know we have reason to believe that we will based on the story that we know but it would, that was even foreboded within season one of the Rings of Power when mm-hmm. Elrond makes his vow to Galadriel way back in episode one where he says to her I promise you that if it should turn out that you were right I will not rest until you know this evil is eliminated so I mean he has promised to go to war yeah. um, he's made and, a few oaths, hasn't he yeah, he has taken several <laughs> oaths, um, but um, anyway. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, that that's uh, seems part of the trajectory to come within the rings of power. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you think about the f- the the initial frame because all of the stuff that we've been talking about about Jackson um is very much part of the frame of that character. Like what we see from him in the prologue and then that that initial segment. Of course, I mean, I guess then you could say also part of the frame of him is as the healer and Lord of Rivendell, as we see, you know, his face, as Frodo comes back to consciousness and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But that scene with Gandalf, the men are weak scene uh, is really his first scene where we're being introduced to him as a character uh, other than those other, you know, shot. You know, so that in the context of those other glimpses that we've received mm-hmm. earlier, um, especially with how that first scene doubles down on that connection with the flashback, mm-hmm. this is the frame that we're being given for his character. And so like, it's like scarred, emotionally scarred, um, if not physically scarred is the, f- is the primary, thing that is conveyed to us i mean yes longevity wisdom i don't want to take away from the other i'm not saying that's it but i'm not trying to oversimplify his character but it's a major major element
1: and it's much darker and it is very resigned to almost not giving up on middle earth because he's not doing that by any means but he's ready to leave right like he's like our time is over we're out you know yes and that's not the elron that we meet in rings of power so yeah seeing that kind of level in the the jackson one and also that moment i remember this from when i saw it when i was like 19. that moment where gandalf screams the the oh, you're gonna say the language the the dark tongue the
0: oh the, in, the yeah the the black speech yeah the black yeah. speech never in yeah. these
1: lands have the black speech been uttered um yes. and just hearing elrond's you know anger at that it was was just really powerful but mm-hmm. it felt very like territorial like Rivendell is still mine. Don't yes. bring that in here. You've just you know, like polluted my, my yeah, yeah
0: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. You can do it in the rest of the world. You've already mucked it all up. Don't do this here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that in this kind of context cuz you're also right that the Man, I'm sorry. Sorry. This is such a good exercise. Like I already feel better. <laughs> you know? Okay. I already you feel but, but because so it's bad. again it's so hard not to um, well, all right, I will okay. use a strong uh, charged word. It's hard not to pollute my reaction and analysis of the film with knowledge from the book, right? Um, I, I, another, um, another dangerous word, slightly less dangerous than right and wrong, um, is the word should. You know, they should have done this. This is what he should be like. I wish they
1: had done right. very powerful. Or like,
0: I w- if I had done it, I would have done it this way sure. for these reasons, which is a sure. perfectly excellent of discussion course. to have. Um, and uh, And, you know, many people, goodness knows, those of you who listen to my three years of podcasts on The Hobbit films will know that I have no problem with people ultimately choosing their own you know, theoretical adaptation over the actual, like I, that's fine. I've had that experience too. Oh, there's some incredible
1: fan fiction that is way better than things that actually Hollywood has turned out.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, but, but, but saying should puts that in a completely wrong footing, right? As if like (laughs) your, your choices are objectively right and theirs are objectively wrong. Um, and that's certainly not, a, a, you, there may be some cases where your choice might be better than theirs. Um, and many, many people might agree with you, but that oh, still but doesn't make are, it a question yeah. of objective, correct or incorrect. Um, and
1: here we are with the language again, like, who says it's better? Who says right, it, yeah. It's, it's all it's, individual. It's, yeah. It
0: is. But anyway, okay, all right, so um, but back to back to Elrond. So, ba- yeah. Back to your point about the black speech, which I agree is really, really cool, because you are right. And here is the thing that was inspiring me to say how much I'm enjoying this because normally this I I hadn't processed this fully um, because I'm thinking too much about Book Elrond, but you're right. Movie Elrond is not explicitly isolationist. Like he's Mm -hmm. not saying we're going to keep to ourselves and we want nothing to do with the outside world. That's not his dynamic there. However
1: I mean, what he is
0: doing Right. what he is doing is threatening to give up right mm-hmm. the the whole like you know the list of our allies grows thin line that he gives to mm-hmm. gandalf basically is like so like white flag time all, right. all, all it's a all aboard okay. for valinor right like yeah. that's that's kind of you know the solution <laughs> i mean and the the way in which he pushes this to arwen shows that this is the direction that he's yeah. thinking you know and yeah. the it's one of the things that um I remember struggling with about the movies at first when Elrond seems like so resistant to, you know, relying on Aragorn to, you know, uh, uh, Gandalf's suggestions, basically. But what they do, I- I'm like, OK, Elrond, so what's your plan? Like mm-hmm. if if not that then what right there's no there's there's no there's no Plan B you know if it's not going to work out with Aragorn then you got nothing right right but I think what I was again what I was overlooking there he does have something which is departure right I just to 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 concede that it's not going to happen that they can't win um and that the best most honorable and even most valiant thing that is within his means is for him personally to be, notice. He's not like on the next boat out of town, right? right. He's yeah. not, he's not being a coward. He's
1: tying um, up loose
0: ends. He's tying up loose ends and being a kind of rear guard or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm going to stay here. I'll, I'll be on the last ship out, but yeah. I'm going to, we're going to start loading the ships. Right. right. But I'm out. But I'm out. But I mean, yeah. everywhere what can be done? Nothing is going to work.
1: But he is Um, holding the summit, but he is delivering the sword. But he is, you know, I mean, there is enough that shows you he is still committed to that original oath. And when you think about it in terms of thousands of years of work, I can't blame the guy for wanting a vacation from
0: Middle Earth. Well, and from being a little salty about the fact that he's been, I mean, to 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 this is dangerous hang on does you might remember better than I do this is another thing like wait did they say this in the movie or was it just in the book um does Galadriel say that um she and Calaborn have been fighting the long defeat is that is that line in the film fighting the long defeat so. is that phrase there okay
1: somebody will correct us but I don't think so that does okay. not ring a bell. All right.
0: she shouldn't say that um yeah, I don't remember it coming out of Cate Blanchett's mouth. I'm trying to I'm trying
1: her talking about the battle. She just talks about No, it's it's in the
0: them. it's in the it's in her introduction. She, she uses that just to characterize their time in Middle-earth. It's a very striking yeah. characterization in the book. Okay, yeah. All right. Several people think uh no, it's not it's not in the film. All right. I so I won't that. quote that then um in regards to Elrond because it's not if it's not in the film it's not safe. Um uh, I don't want. I don't want to just import, but, but still, the idea of he has been. Again, we first saw him on the front lines of battle, right? And so there's this sense in which his his character keeps that, sort of retains that, and so this idea of him. So even the way that he's sending Arwen off, it's not like because I want to be parted from you, right? Because, you know, I uh, I mean. It's not explicitly stated. I think I don't think he ever says so. The only, the only viable option here is that all the elves just need to leave right now. Mm-hmm. It's time to it's time to start the mass, you know, yeah, emigration. Like we're all given up. we everybody yeah. surrender. Like, well, not surrender, but flee. Right, yeah. everybody flee. We're all given up. He didn't say that, but I think that that seems to be implied in his trying to send Arwen away right i want to send you away before it gets too dangerous i'm going to stay with some others and and we might die like the, you know the dark lord might take over and come for us um and we'll hold, if so we'll hold him off as long as we can but i want you and as many as can to escape before that and then Ooh. eventually again i i don't see any other um uh prospect um uh uh of uh of of, of rescue there um uh Yes, yes, um, and um, uh, what was it, uh, Mal Andra is saying, Elrond was very insistent to Gandalf that my people are leaving these shores never to return. Yeah, yeah, again, he doesn't, he doesn't, like they, he manages to avoid, which I think is actually, the more I think about it, the more I think it's a really delicate line that they walk in the script of the film, because they don't want to make Elrond sound like a coward, right? right? They don't want to make him sound like a... Um, a, well he does sound like a jerk. Um they don't. Want
1: to make he doesn't, him. I mean he doesn't sound well, grumpy. Heartless. He's grumpy. He sounds yeah. informed yeah. and angry. You know, informed and like angry, a, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. a lobbyist.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Um with bitter experience in uh, mm-hmm. uh, behind him. Yeah, yeah. Um anyway, but like they they could make him sound what would be one or two steps back from traitor? That is like betraying the cause of the good guy. Mm. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna abdicate, right? I'm gonna mm-hmm. leave the field. Like that would be a bad look, right? And so they don't make him say those things. They don't make him mm. do. And yet, um, they, I, I think, within the film, fairly clearly convey that that seems to be, unless some miracle does in fact happen, that's the I mean, plan. The thing
1: with Elrond though is like. I like that he's salty. I like that. That's a great word for him. I like that he's salty. And then he's a bit bitter about how things have gone on. But his main role as filmic Elrond is to drive things forward. You know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I can't remember what he is from the book, to be perfectly honest. It's been a long time. But the main scenes that we get from Elrond in Fellowship, well, I guess across the whole trilogy, is pulling people together for that summit making decisions moving forward bringing the sword you know it's 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 a lot of wisdom but it's a lot of facilitating it's like whatever he does moves us to the next step the only real personal arc or character development that we get is his relationship with arwen which is completely you know not fictitious but drawn out from Mm -hmm. from text
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: that is only to facilitate Arwin's character arc—it doesn't really add much to his own, I don't think. And and how right. they shoot it is always with Arwin taking the center of that conversation and the center of that emotion. You know, you knew there was life and things like that. So it's yeah. it's more about her emotional reaction in contrast to him.
0: Yeah, and uh, if I could for a second, I want to call time out—not on you, but on some of our our our, our viewers oh, here. No. What's happening? Play along, people. Right. Many of you are making observations from the books and applying them to this conversation. Those are irrelevant to this conversation. The (laughs) game here. Right. If you're going to do this properly, look at me using pejorative words. Right. But if you're going to give this a shot and really think about the choices that they're making fairly, you've the only evidence that you can adduce for this conversation about Elrond's character is from the film's. Um,
1: but this is a safe space for us to say, oh, wait, okay, boy, what about all these other things? Of yeah,
0: course. Yeah. But we, we, we can, we can come back evaluator. to those things. Yeah, we yeah. can come back to those things. But I just, I just want, I want to make sure that frankly, people. I'm quite are curious tracking about with those that.
1: things because I think that's one of the reasons I was excited to chat with you because I'm like, I love this development of Arwen's story and her relationship with Aragorn and the, the, the fighting, not fighting, the butting heads of her dad, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff that's so mm-hmm. relatable to any human watcher, but also just works really well in this Peter Jackson created world. I just wonder how that felt mm-hmm. as a, a text fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, of course, the the Arwen situation is a complicated one. Fraught. It's fraught because Arwen was, frankly, a last-second add-on to the books. Yeah. Her story is radically underdeveloped in the books because it was literally added at the 11th hour. Um, So you can, and you know, if you know the books pretty well, you can pretty much smell which ones, which are the paragraphs that were added in at the end, you know, in order to retrofit. Now Tolkien was a great retrofitter. I mean, he is fantastic at retcon. And so it's not like it's something that's like super awkward and, and really hurts the book in a lot of ways. Um, but it's pretty clear that her yeah. story is under... I mean, even the fact that he adds the Appendix A story of Aragorn and Arwen um, as a separate standalone sort of shows... Well, it suggests to me very strongly that had he had th- the time... There was clearly much more he wanted to say about their story as he went on to develop it, and would probably have wanted it to work. And do I think Arwen would have done nothing but sit back in Rivendell and sew a banner right. until the time came? No, I don't not think if that's
1: Aragorn what the story. Would have either, been. Then she must have been, you
0: know. I, there's there's well more matched. going on there. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that she would have been at Helm's Deep as Peter Jackson originally projected or anything, but. Um, but it is almost possible, impossible for me to imagine that she would have been as um, uh, absentee a character mm-hmm. through the whole story um, as she is. That's
1: a nice way in the to like, text. deal with that, because you were able to tell yourself, "There's probably some gaps I need to fill in there too." That's helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, and I um, I. It's one of the things in the Jackson films, or rather like thinking about the making of the Jackson films, it's one of the real opportunities. Right? Um, There are multiple occasions on which Peter Jackson and his team are facing like things that Tolkien wanted to do, but didn't get a chance to do. Right? Um, One of those was Integrating the Arwen and Aragorn story into the Lord of the Rings. Mm. I totally think that Tolkien would have done that had he had more time, but he didn't. Mm. Um, the other, of course, the even bigger example is the entire Hobbit films and the way that he was that uh, Peter Jackson was setting out to integrate the Hobbit story into the whole world and epic uh you know, historical trajectory of the Lord of the Rings, which Tolkien also really wanted to do and never, ever did. Um, Ooh. and the Hobbit remained sort of isolated and, uh, a court of, a, a sort of unnaturalized citizen of the world of middle earth through still to this day, the Hobbit book still kind of is that, um, uh, despite much of the very powerful retcon that he did in other places, you know, to kind of uh, uh, kind of drag it in, um, especially, of course, the revision to chapter five. But anyway, um, here, Peter Jackson, in adding Arwen stuff to the films, Peter Jackson is actually doing a. Th- it's it's one of the places where he's doing a fill in the blank, basically, Um uh, but it is a fill-in-the-blank that is based on material, some of w- which Tolkien did write, right? But it's it's also a kind of what if, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to make changes to the story, um, which Tolkien, you know, who knows what changes Tolkien himself might have made, you right. know, had he integrated that, but he didn't. Um, but, um, okay. uh, yeah, anyway... Yeah,
1: it it doesn't need to need to be definitive it was just kind of like huh wonder how that was but i mean as as a a viewer i thought she worked brilliantly and what she did was so powerful and magical and all these other things that just should go along with elves which also got me thinking about i know we're not really huge on comparison right now but you and i were talking about elves in rings of power versus elves in Mm -hmm. jackson and absolutely, like you see it so strongly through Fellowship and and the rest of Jackson's trilogy about how magical elves are, and we haven't seen that yet in Rings of Power. So mm-hmm. you know, Legolas walking on top of snow, you know the the skill that he has with a sword, and all of these things that are learned, but still just so much more impactful. I thought with the Jackson trilogy, but the magical elements are just ever present. I mean, they're just constant. We have all these abilities that other people don't, that we didn't see in Rings of Power. And Even I miss up, that. E-
0: even just in things like the Limbus, right?
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How many
1: did you
0: eat? Four. <laughs> right. Um, and by the way, since last episode, I think Kat Sass on Twitter was pointing out, of course, it is interesting. Literally, the very first scene we see of elves in the Rings of Power is juvenile Galadriel with the swan ship where she's yeah. whispering to it. There seems to be magic involved magic in the there. making of in the making of that ship. So it is interesting. Yeah. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Um, that actually the very, very first thing that we do see does seem to involve, does seem to be a scene involving elf magic. So I think maybe I would want to qualify, and there may be other scenes I'm forgetting too, so I might want to qualify what I said, but I, I still think it's true, but I would put it maybe more in the sense of the Rings of Power seems to be leaning away from it instead of leaning into it. They're, they're not cutting mm-hmm. it, you know, they're not saying mm-hmm. it doesn't happen but more often than not especially in moments again for me particularly, it was episode 8 with the rings of power, right uh, the actual forging of the rings of power um, they seem to be leaning away from magic and towards te- technology, the line between which is never wow. very sharp in Tolkien yeah. it, it just isn't um uh, but anyway, they seem to be leaning away from that um, rather than leaning into it, um, and that may change. You know, their leaning may change uh, as things move forward. But um, yeah, <laughs> though I think I agree with Phil that sufficiently advanced origami is indistinguishable from magic. Oh, uh, <laughs> that, <laughs>
1: yes. but that was one of the, I don't want to get I don't want to get negative on it. But that was one of the things that crossed my mind that like. Yeah, we saw magic, but it was almost a gimmick like, oh, look, she made a boat. Whereas it's just so naturally a part of their being in Mm -hmm. Jackson Mm -hmm. and in Tolkien that I preferred it to not be showy. When it happened, you kind of wait. Oh, wait, what just happened? You know, right. It was nice that it wasn't like and seeing with you and I differ on this, but like Galadriel sword fight training scene, Mm
0: -hmm. I struggled
1: with that because I just thought it just looked like showmanship you know it's just like, like look what I can do and that's not what the elves tend to do it's very much like I have mad skills I don't need to show them off you know and it just Legolas with a sword was just very much more believable than Galadriel with a sword to me alright I'll stop hating on it
0: and yet the sword play in Galadriel's scenes is so much better than the sword play in Legolas's scenes Oh interesting. I mean, he's not doing a lot of sword fighting. He does mostly archery. Oh wow. yeah. But um, it was but... the
1: goblin battle in Moria. Yeah. Um, the Patron. fight sequence.
0: Yeah. The, the fight sequence with going like, the actual fighting. Not to mention that, like I don't know, like as somebody who has actually That's true. done some martial arts instruction, like her teaching was really good. Like she was she was teaching really, really good lessons and demonstrating it well. Hmm. Even the showing off that she was doing was clearly pedagogical. Like mm-hmm. she was demonstrating, like especially in the opening sequence, right, where he's like stabbing at her, and she's just twisting and was like, she is illustrating what she then went on to explain about how you win a fight with your feet, and it's about where you're standing, not about you know you you, you win mm-hmm. with your feet, not your arms, and again, as like a martial artist, I'm like, yeah, yeah, preach <laughs> preach that's exactly right anyway um uh so Probably. that's why i that's that's that, that, that's what I loved about that about that yeah. scene myself, but um. Anyway, we're also
1: have like half an hour left, and we're on our first slide.
0: Yeah, exactly. We had aspirations to get to scenes, and we're not even getting through one character. All right, (laughs) let's get back to um, Elrond Um, because I want to. This has been I I'm I am like seeing new vistas of Elrond's character, film Elrond. I'm I'm understanding film Elrond better than I ever have. Um, So I want to I want to I want to carry on, and then we can also do some more comparison with the story of Rings of Power Elrond uh, as well, and how they're they're setting up his character there. So, okay. Um, Well, obviously we have to go well beyond the Fellowship of the Ring, but Elrond's character... Am I right in recalling that we get nothing whatsoever from Elrond in between the delivery of the sword and the um, appearance at the wedding.
1: Hang on, I'm going through my mind palace.
0: Um,
1: I don't think so.
0: I don't think. I don't think. Delivery I think that's of it, the isn't sword,
1: it? They go through the paths of the dead.
0: Can we get the battle. Do we,
1: do we get a cut of Arwen and Elrond? Is that? I think that's when that conversation happens.
0: I no. I think. I think they've already, I think their conversation happens all because he reports on their conversations to, to Aragorn when he delivers the sword. Yes, he does. So I think all of those Arwen Elrond moments are prior to that. Yeah.
1: Um, I think you're right. And then he's just there at the end next to Arwen watching the kiss.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, right. So the next time we see him is when he shows up, uh, uh, At the wedding. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. Good. Confirmed. So that's a really fascinating leap there Mm -hmm. at the end. And and, and that puts a lot of pressure on that appearance. The sword delivery moment. Yes. Right. Um, And again, talk about moments that like in 2001 made me throw up my hands. Right, I'm like. Wait, what? with with El- shows up with the sword. No, oh, I was just she, like, what on earth is going, going on going here? Right,
1: and I'm like, bring on, going, on the
0: clowns. Good grief!
1: But like, even, <laughs> even as you're building this up, I'm going right. Isn't that a beautiful shot? That's not where you were going at all. That's not where I was going at, at all. Happened. Yeah,
0: I, I thought I was, I was going that
1: all. shot, like how it was filmed too, from like on top. As his cloak opens up with the sword coming out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. So I. Wait, so but but my point of bringing that up yeah. is I, I'm leaving that behind, right? Because I, I want to think about what because this is really literally that is thinking about it in the in the actual definition of the term. This is a climactic moment for Elrond, right? This is this is the this is the the peak of his character. The film Elrond. Arc. Yeah, the film Elrond. This is the yeah. peak of his. like the next time we're gonna we're not gonna see him again until Denouement. Right, like him showing up at the wedding is is closure. It's important, but he didn't even say anything, right? I mean, he does something important, right? Which is like, you know, show up, smile, kind of smugly, and then like give way to Arwin, right? Which is a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you know, in all of that, they accomplish with marvelous efficiency. His complicated emotion in response to it. the facial acting that Hugo Weaving has to do Ooh. in that scene, just just stunning what he does yeah, there, right? So good. Um, the conflicted emotions there, um, the like I have, ch- like you have done your thing, and I have, you know, and I am keeping my promise, and I am, and I'm changing. Like I, a lot of work gets done in that, like. 10 seconds yep, of screen time of change, yeah. there at the end. So I'm not trying to downplay the significance of that. And it, it's, there's a, an enormous amount of closure that gets done in that little segment. But the business is done. Like the, the, the actual work of his character is done. That's, that's closure. That's Danu Mont. The main thing is the sword scene. Um, so, so what, help me, help me to understand better. Uh, especially thinking about you know how much you liked the the reveal. shots and 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 yeah the reveal and 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 how all that's done. Um, help me think through how that works, and I'm going to be continuing to leave behind all of my all of my concerns. That's
1: a lot of pressure, Corey. It's going to take you yeah. a little while. I mean, <laughs> also, I I want to like rewatch it sitting next to you so we can talk through it together because that would help. But yeah. from from this point, like. I don't know i think it just kind of falls back into what i said before about elrond being facilitator because mm-hmm. the only emotive moment we have is with him and arwen but that is to drive arwen forward we get a real yeah. benefit of seeing father elrond and mm-hmm. what that kind of relationship is like and i think that's really powerful because it feels very real and right. their acting ability is what pulls that off you know you can feel the connection between them it doesn't feel like they're saying lines so you get that kind of moment but then we really needed the task to happen. So like we've had a motion to move things along, but then we really need the action to have everybody pick their next step. So he's gotten Arwen to pick the next step, whether he wanted it or not, but now he's getting Aragorn to take the next step. So he's really pushing him into that role. And the only thing that was out of place was this sword, right? So like sword can be remade, pieces can be reforged. And here I am revealing it to you. Plus I have this message from your beloved, Plus, I traveled here myself. Uh, one of the most beautiful shots again—that aerial shot looking down, of him the coming up, the,
0: yeah, coming yeah. up
1: the switchbacks, yeah—and I don't know what it is about that, but it's something about the switchbacks, like visually, just knowing that we've got time. It's like building anticipation, right? We're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, 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 oh. So by the time <laughs> he gets to the top, oh, and the way he's framed in there too, of like, you know, you have a friend inside you, have a visitor, and it's just all shrouded in this kind of mystery. We've already moved to two towers we said we weren't going to do that but it is very powerful i think when when talking about Elrond in that scene and that is his climax because we have built up to this we have decided that we're going to help middle earth in this last final way i have given up my daughter for this love i will get this sword to the forever king that can solve and save this world and then i step aside so it really does feel this like mm-hmm. And not like yeah. a falling to disgrace, falling, like stepping onto the Ste- and piece. Yeah.
0: yeah. Stepping aside. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, there's uh, thinking back to what we were saying before, uh, and, and this is another element of his travel, right? The significance of him coming himself, yeah. which again, like I no had so many problems feet. with, but, but yeah, th- is his, in Rivendell he was out they were out. The elves mm. were out. Right. Um, and him talking about like the list of their allies growing thin. He was not interested in like, so let's brainstorm. Where are we going to get some more allies? Like how are we going to make this happen? Right. That's yeah, not, yeah. what he's doing is explaining. And therefore <laughs> this is why I'm out. Right. And
1: yeah, He wasn't like, what's our next step? He was like, so
0: so in other words yeah uh, um, it's cartons on the elves that's the yes. only option left um but having come to that all the way right having come himself all the way down to Dunharrow right um, he's brought himself to the front lines again mm-hmm. and and so there's there's a there's a there's a show of Commitment. Like I have come all this way in the opposite direction of the sea. Right. Yeah. Um I am recommitting to the cause because I believe in you. Right. Yeah. Be- and I'm will you know, and I'm giving you this sword because I believe that you are the one and that you can make this happen and that uh you know that like basically I now think, unlike what I thought before, I now think that having you among our list of allies maybe changes the situation.
1: And I think that's I think that's really important to see for elrond story-wise character-wise but i also think we need to remember also the contract that the audience the viewer needs to have with these <laughs> characters mm-hmm. so that moment once again is not for elron's benefit although it has been really good to see him kind of build up to his own climax but that was really for us as viewers to look at aragorn and see all right he's got everything he needs i am fully behind this as well let's go you know right so it really right. does put the weight of all the belief behind aragorn and his ability to overcome this
0: right and and the way that it to kind of slightly shift for a second but it's still in that scene um and again thinking about um, elrond as facilitator as you were describing um the significance of that moment for aragorn thinking about where that scene fits into aragorn's trajectory um so film one uh saw the big question and we were talking about this last time right the big question of film one um you know it's like uh, men are weak Discuss. (laughs) Discuss. Sure. <laughs> that's one of the questions, right? Is And so the... One of the big moments in Arag- Aragorn's whole trajectory in the first film builds up to the moment where he folds Frodo's hand closed over the ring and does not take it for himself, right? So mm-hmm. that's sort of the first step, where he's proven, okay, he um has overcome the weakness of his human heritage, right? And... Then in the second film, which we didn't talk about last time, but the general arc of Aragorn's character in the second film is him becoming a leader of men, right?
1: But starting very small, you know, He's mm-hmm. not, we're not going to abandon Merry and Pippin to, I forget what he says, a fate,
0: uh, a what? terrible
1: fate or a gruesome fate or something.
0: Torment, so in, and, he, does he say torment and death? That's what Something he says. Something like book. that. But anyway,
1: I think that is what he says. So they go after, you know, two hobbits first. Yeah. we're gonna we're gonna be valiant and save yeah. them. But in that process, those two hobbits then become, you know. Okay, he
0: does say torment and death. There we go. Good. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Good. Um, uh, good. Good. So so yeah, exactly. So he starts off as you say small, but he's still he's still he's. Act, m- making a leadership choice and then we see that kind of grow in his relationship with Theoden, right, and the way that he becomes connect- especially the way then that gets dramatized with his oh apparent death, and then his return, right, and Mm -hmm. the way, and the impact that that has on Theoden, and his leadership at Helm's Deep, um, you know, and he's without like displacing Theoden, right, he becomes the, you know, he's the, you know, sort of... He lifts uh, up
1: Theoden. Yeah, yeah, he lifts up Theoden, exactly. He lifts up Theoden, but somehow Theoden still bows to him. You know, it's an amazing shift of power, and yeah, we'll get to that one, but, Right.
0: Even thinking about, of course, the the famous scene when he sees the um, the beacon light mm-hmm. and comes running in and says, "Gondor calls for that. aid." Right? Um, just pause and think about that for a second. Like he's
1: he's,
0: he's the a messenger. He's the messenger. He could be. I mean, he could say like, "So, Theoden, um, I am the heir of Isildur. I call for aid." Right? Like, right now, <laughs> I am Gondor, and I am calling for it. Instead, in the film, he's just a messenger, right? He does not see himself that way at all. He, no, is not, he doesn't he speak hasn't for Gondor. been
1: there. He hasn't, he, he, like, if we're talking Hero's Journey and Monomyth and things like that, he is aware of the mantle, but he has not yet put on the mantle. You know, he's not yes. accepted that specific challenge or, you know, risen to that kind of bar yeah. yet. He yeah. knows it's there. He knows he's probably running towards it. But he hasn't yeah. quite accepted it yet.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that moment then, before the Paths of the Dead, when Elrond shows up with the sword, in for film, Aragorn, this is the moment when he embraces. I'm gonna be king. Mm-hmm. I should be king. Like oh, And the way
1: he picks it up too. I mean, if we're talking shots. There's like a hesitation. I, I love that. I remember this. There's like a hesitation of his hand over the hilt. And then he kind of looks up at Elrond and just grabs it. <laughs> and it's just one swift, like, right. heck yeah. I'm yeah, he
0: owns it thing. at that time. yeah.
1: And, and the way that's shot is how you feel. So, like, if mm-hmm. I want to follow a king who's mm-hmm. going to save me from ruin, I mean, not just me, my whole world from ruin, you want him to feel like that, right? So, like, seeing him feel like that and lift up that sword you, the viewer, and I imagine all of the people of Aragorn and Gondor <laughs> feel right. feel very confident.
0: Right, right, yeah, yeah. No, and that's that's, and so it's Elrond who brings about that final transformation. That and then, of course, that transformation is then, in a sense, tested right in the Paths of the Dead, yeah. with the King of the Dead and like the Sword of the King of the Dead and and everything. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yes, yeah, so you have the passing. Sorry, I'm interrupting so you. Yeah, pass- no, no, no. Of The torch. you see the passing of a torch from Elrond to Aragorn but then you have like the sword I want not legacy, prophecy you have like the prophecy coming true so like Mm -hmm. if you're pulling in all these little elements of monomyth and stuff too you've got all these things falling into line like yep they say it's him, yep they say it's him yep (laughs) they say it's him, let's go yes, yes, he is the chosen one
0: (laughs) yes, yes um yeah, yeah yeah, exactly. So that that is what that is the moment that is facilitated by Elrond's coming down. He is he is the one who brings about that transformation, who prompts and encourages that choice. Um yeah. Thinking in monomyth terms, he becomes the mentor figure yeah. to uh, Aragorn in that moment like he's he's um you know he's uh he he is the obi-wan kenobi he really has because he's
1: also he's doing head and heart isn't he too because he's he's bringing the message from arwen and and giving him his blessing as a father figure saying i am okay with my daughter giving up her immortality to be with you because you are so incredible like it's somehow this really seamless transition from all right, you can have my girl (laughs) to being because you are king. Uh, I've oversimplified it, but yeah, that kind of line of thinking is is really powerful.
0: And looking back at that moment for a minute, because we kind of skimmed over a little bit, the Arwen Elrond Mm. stuff that led up to this. um, That's also the moment where he is showing his own change and his own progress like he he first models the change for Aragorn himself right and it's Arwen who has done Mm, it what the even going back to the bit which from a book standpoint I would still put I think at the very very top of my list of things that still befuddle me about the film adaptation and that is Arwen's link to the ring Mm -hmm. that he points to in that scene but not thinking about it at all from a book standpoint and just looking at its function within the story of the film. Its function is, again, in that drama that we were looking at about the elves are leaving Middle-earth, like it's over, you know, game over for the elves, it's time to leave. There's no other choice that we have. I'm sending Arwen on ahead. Um, And what Arwen does, her response is not just like, I mean, it's much more than merely like, but dad, I really want to marry this guy because he's like super dreamy like that's No, it's it's kind of past. Yes. Yeah. And her connection to the ring happened when she saved Frodo's life. Again, I still don't understand it, but I don't need to understand it. She she she, she 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 made a choice right when she's and that's the, and that's the point. Right, she has made. He was saying, "We're out. We're not going to commit to this. We're not going to. We're not going to risk losing any more than we've already lost." Mister Scarred, bitter experience of the last thousands of years. Um, We're out. There's nothing more we can do. This is a zero sum game. We're out. Right. Um, But Arwen has already. She's already committed, both in her commitment to Aragorn and in her, you know, her, the choice. It's, it's, it's about choice. Think about the way that Aragorn, sorry, Arwen's choice is emphasized in her conversation with Aragorn Mm -hmm. with the whole, like, I choose a mortal life scene, right? The Mm -hmm. romantic uh, bridge scene, (laughs) right? Um, She, she chooses a mortal life. She chose to help Frodo. And even that, her agency in that is emphasized through the little mini debate that she and Aragorn have. You know, when Aragorn is like, no, no, it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. And she's like, dude, I'm a better rider than you are anyway. Right yeah. Anyway, like knowing what was at stake, she chose to endanger mm-hmm. herself in the flight to the Ford um, within the film. And-
1: and the, the hug of whatever life I have, may it, may it be passed to him. Yes, so exactly. Really that's, the, that's the moment
0: of choice. Yeah, exactly. That's the moment of when that link, I guess, whatever it is, is established. So what, he, what Elrond is faced with is not just like this sort of fait accompli. I mean, it is. Like, she's already chosen. She's chosen Aragorn. She's chosen. Uh, she's chosen this. But his realization of this has changed, has renewed his own perspective. Right, basically where his response to that is like, Well, okay. I guess we're in. I guess I'm in. Right. And therefore here I'm gonna schlep all the way down mm. to, to to Dunharrow and uh and bring the sword and and facilitate then Aragorn's choice. Cause Aragorn, cool. ironically, Arwen's made her choice, but Aragorn still hasn't, which is why he's trying to refuse the thing and he's trying to, you know, be like, Oh, you should I you should take it back and whatever and um you know, he's, he's, he's trying to not choose or trying to resist that yeah. choice until that moment, um, the moment of Elrond's coming.
1: I have to think this through another time, but I've, that just made me kind of go, whoa, what if Arwen hadn't made her choice? Would it have affected Elrond's film, film version? Because her making that choice put her amongst the people of the mortal so would he have cared as much or is it because she's now in Middle Earth forever that he's like, I got to give all the ammunition I can
0: to these people. I got to bring that sword to Aragorn. I think it's also in that conversation that she has with him where she kind of shames him. Mm. Right. And she points out like, look, you you um, you didn't do right by me. Like you are concealing things like you've basically evidence shows that you've not been. Objective in your analysis of this situation, you've chosen the easy path and you concealed things from me in mm-hmm. order to, in order to like make me agree with that, I mean, in order to make us all go along with that. That ain't right, mm-hmm. and that seems to be one of the things this very loose paraphrase, <laughs> of course, but this seems to be one of the things that leads to that. So, I don't think it's merely like That merely that he's thinking, well, shoot, um, okay, uh, my daughter's trapped here, so I better make the best of a bad situation. I don't think it's just, again, with the way that she is correcting him, the way that she has put the direction that she is pushing him is not just like, so I've contrived uh, dad um, to give you no choice about what you do, but rather she instead influences his choice and models his choice for him. And then he follows that so it's interesting like Arwin, arwen's role in the film because she's the one who influences the influencer right yeah i mean that 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 becomes her core role uh in the story as far as we can see um but um anyway yeah it, it's well. uh yeah exactly as uh um, as Druid's Fire is saying here, she's reacting to his uh, nearly open, yeah, open manipulation, manipulation of her. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And 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 calling him on it like that's yeah. the fact that you're doing this even, is not okay.
1: And he doesn't even seem that sorry. He's like, no, no. I'm just protecting you. Like, yeah. No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so this is how. I mean, I can see. How, and then then you think about how this is then this is then reflected, right? How in a sense with with uh, Elrond serving as the kind of fulcrum or pivot point in the middle how Arwen's choice ends up uh leading to Aragorn's yeah. choice on the other side right through the influence of um of yeah. Elrond cuz I you know without Arwen's intervention I don't think there's any way Elrond is reforging the sword and bringing it down to Aragorn right right like
1: who knew I have never yeah. thought about it that way 20 yeah.
0: years yeah I think cool. that's, I think that, that seems to be, yeah. Seems to be, see, thinking about the movie is fun.
1: <laughs> thinking no, about think the sure movie only, is like, the background, I was kind of like, I can't believe we're only on slide one. And then I was like, oh my God, we're only on slide one. We get to do this forever, Corey. <laughs> like, yeah. Because the next two weeks are already planned out. So like, it's not going to be until like middle of February that we get to come back to this and then we're just going to be on slide two. And oh my God, we're here, so much
0: fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, so, um, okay, so what's, let's, so let's, Let's hang on a second, then. Let's, since we only have fifteen minutes left anyway. Let's um, lean let's lean into the the Elrond thing. So, um, which do you want to do? Compare and contrast Jackson film Elrond and Rings of Power Elrond, or compare and contrast Jackson film Elrond with book Elrond? Oh, I want
1: to do all the things. Well, book to Jackson. I feel like is what we're telling people not to do, but well, I think it's, it's okay.
0: Really it, would, vital. Like, it, it would be okay to do it now. Like yeah, I mean, after we've it, discussed this,
1: I also think it's vital for our discussion of adaptation. I think it's right. interesting to compare to rings of power because it's fresh in all of our minds and we've yeah. been talking about it a lot. So I don't want to spend too much time reflecting back to rings of power. I guess I think okay. that conversation of book to film is more.
0: Okay. All right. So it. let's, so let's think then Elrond's role of the book. What is Elrond's role in the book? And just as we were thinking about, like, the moments... Now, Elrond's character is... I mean, obviously, he's not a continuous character throughout the story. So uh, where do we see Elrond's influence happening? And actually, um, his... The periods of time in which Elrond is absent from the narrative are very much longer in the book than they are in the film, right? The film keeps us in contact with Elrond, not only because of the intervention of... His actual appearance, bringing the sword, right? But all that extra stuff with Arwen, which of course is nowhere in the books. Um, so, what we, um, uh, what we get? Um, yeah, all right. <laughs> Elrond's role in the book. We meet him. And spend a good deal of time with him. I mean, Council of Elrond is a good deal of time all by itself, right? It's a hugely long chapter. And Elrond is a very central figure in that. He is really running that meeting. Um, and after discussing the Council of Elrond for two years-ish uh, recently, um, I think I actually have to differ. I I, I still appreciate Tom Shippey's joke, about Elrond, he has made many times, is that Elrond, uh, in the Council of Elrond, is like a really, really bad department chair at a department meeting. Um, and I, I understand the joke that he's making. Like, the joke that he's making is that he's like a department chair that calls a meeting and then starts off by talking for two hours uh, before they even move on to the agenda. Um like that's that's true, and that's a that's a, that's like a legitimately that. funny joke, and I, I and I totally get that. However, looking at the Council of Elrond as a whole, I actually think Elrond does a really good job chairing that meeting, um, and handles it and manages it really really well um, to exactly the outcome that he was that he and Gandalf I think There's alike,
1: a lot of dynamics in that room.
0: There are there are, and he um, he he I think um, manages it um, pretty pretty skillfully um but um anyway okay so we get that and that's a that's a big thing we get he appears we get we get appearances from him on the chapters on either side of that uh in the many uh meetings chapter at the beginning of book 2 um, when frodo wakes up in rivendell we don't get a lot of him but we get him we get him a few times we get sort of him placed in his setting right the um the the kind of in my opinion sort of core like Take home Elrond moment from many meetings is that like him singing in the Hall of Fire, like we see him in place as the Lord of Rivendell and um, he's a big deal. Right, and uh, and how much of a big deal he is is emphasized in a couple different ways. We learn other things about him, like the way that he jokes with Bilbo is extremely endearing, and we see his some you know things about his personal relationships there as well. But anyhow, so okay, so we that's kind of how he gets established at the beginning. Then we get him managing the council after the council. We get him at the beginning of the Ring Goes South, um, and we see him. foreseeing things, right? Talking about foreseeing their path and determine, and decreeing things like there should totally be nine of you in this company. Like, that's a thing that needs to happen um, that he decrees, right? Because he, he knows. This is one of the things that Elrond is associated with consistently throughout the book, is foresight. He's the one. He doesn't exactly know the future. Like, he doesn't, you know, have a day planner that extends you know 5 years into the future but he does he can see things um yeah. uh and he can see things afar both in 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 space and time um but uh, uh anyway so and and that's how he re- even though he himself never shows up again he doesn't show up until the wedding from there um in as far as physical appearance in the narrative um however his presence is felt at other times and it's primarily in it, this is of course most notable um in the moment which is the analog to the sword delivery moment um when his sons Eldon and el rohir come down with the rangers from the north with the great company and meet up with aragorn and give him not the sword but the banner of the king that arwen has made um and give him a message like, Aragorn is, is also... It's it's also a turning point for Aragorn's character in the book as well. Not the same turning point, of course. It's not at all in the book about, like, I think I'm going to go claim the throne of Gondor now where I was uncertain before. Like, that's not mm-hmm. the case. Um, but Aragorn is at a moment of uncertainty. What should he do? What role should he play? What direction... Literally, what direction should he go in? Like... You know what should be his next actual physical destination, but more importantly, like what role am I supposed to play in this? What should I do next? Basically, is really his. And when he receives the message from Elrond through Elrond and Elrohir, here, um, he he knows what to do. And it's about the path of the dead. Go into the path of the you know go through the path of the dead. Uh, you, you should go through the path of the dead. And also, this also leads him the immediate consequence of this is the moment in the book when he reveals himself to Sauron in the Palantir. Um, that was great. The turning point that he makes is, is is like the, the turning point of Aragorn's career that that message from Elrond brings about. Again, it's not the same turning point, but it is a turning point. It's the, it's the moment when Aragorn decides, okay, my days of lurking in the shadows and keeping a low profile so that Sauron doesn't notice me are over. It is yeah. now time for me to unfurl the flag, stand up tall, yell at the top Stop of my lungs, and it's time to it's time to it's time to move to the front of the room, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a, this is not only a big change for Aragorn personally (laughs) from what he's been doing through his whole life to that point, but it's a choice that was made hundreds of years ago by his ancestors ever since the fall of Fornost, when the chieftain of the Dúnedain, the Dúnedain as a whole, and their chieftains, have been keeping this low profile, let's not claim the throne, let's not, you know, ever since Arvedui and the death of Arvedui the last king, they're like let's, let's, let's Keep it low-key. Yeah, let's, uh, let's help everybody to forget that there is a remnant of the Numenorians from the north. Um, and this, as we can see in Bree, seems to be generally successful, right? They don't have any idea. He's just a ranger, right? Um, and yes, that's when they sent um, their heirs to Rivendell for fostering Phil from then on.
1: And I'm interjecting Um, there because that was a lovely line that I enjoyed the relationship building when they said that, because you understood the relationship between Aragorn and Arwen then much more as well. So, Oh, he grew up there. He speaks Elvish. Like he's part of that community and how powerful that was with his relationship to Legolas. Like it just built that out, having that one little reference to being your mother knew that when she sent you here.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's the, um, the scene with Aragorn at his mother's gravestone is one right. of my favorite little additions to the yeah. extended edition, um, uh, in the, uh, in the films. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, anyway, so, um, okay. So that there's an interesting parallel that, again, it's, it's Elrond's intervention indirectly, right? He doesn't come himself, but the message that he sends does facilitate a really important transitional moment in Aragorn's story. Um, And we do see Elrond sort of influencing influencing things, but he's much more well on the back burner throughout most of the story. He he plays a much less prominent role. Um, He is very important for setting... He's the one who sets the quest of the ring in motion um, and establishes, as it were, the ground rules. He's the one who insists on how important it is that people volunteer for this. Frodo's choice to take up the ring himself is free will. yeah hugely important yeah yeah the, the 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 emphasis on people's free will uh in through the council of elrond and afterwards in the beginning of the ring goes south really really important so he establishes that really clearly um he sets the company in motion and sort of sets the parameters and ground rules there um which ends up bearing fruit, I think, in important and interesting ways as the story goes on. Um, So he is the... He's there at the... I guess I would say two important transition points in the story. He is one who makes... Who sort of shifts gears and makes things happen, right? The first one being when the ring comes to Rivendell. And when Frodo is bringing the ring to Rivendell... um, uh, at the at the start, right? Um, the journey from Bag End to Rivendell, he's done when like that's the goal. When Frodo gets there with the ring, having brought the ring to Rivendell, he's his job is We've finished.
1: We've done what we set out to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. His job, as far as he knows, his job is finished, um, and it's Elrond through the council and his careful management of the council. That bring, Which culminates in, which brings about Frodo's volunteering um, to become the ring bearer and to take the ring. So the the pivot from let's take the ring to safety in Rivendell to actually no let's take the ring to Mount Doom to destroy it. That's Elrond's first and primary job uh, in the plot, I would say, of The Lord of the Rings. And then that secondary one is the little tweak that he gives to Aragorn's career trajectory. The little pointer, (laughs) right? The little cue that he gives to him uh, there at the end. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesse has a really interesting question. Does Elrond presumably ever have a ring temptation moment? I think he has to have had, but it it happened off screen. I mean, Mm. he must have had it when Frodo was lying there wounded and he was treating Frodo's wound and the ring is still around Frodo's neck. He has to have had it. Um, But, but yeah, I think he... uh, would, but yeah, we, I mean, he obviously passed it, um, but we never saw it. And that itself is actually kind of an interesting thing. Like he's never personalized as a character. If he had had a ring temptation moment, we would have learned more about like what he was thinking and feeling.
1: Right. Well, and he was there originally. So like to be in its presence again, I imagine would be crazy powerful.
0: But here's the really interesting thing. (laughs)
1: Phil. I love that point.
0: Sorry. Someone put the <laughs> ring on a new chain. Someone put
1: the ring on a new chain. Somebody had to. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. 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 No, that's exactly Sorry. it. Um, okay. Okay. So here's the really cool thing. In both the book and the film, we get an emphasis on, I was there, Gandalf, right? Like the, yeah. the, the fact that Elrond was an eyewitness of what happened at the battle of the last alliance is significantly emphasized in scenes, in parallel scenes, not identical by any means, but in parallel scenes uh, in the two works. However, what I think that what the book and the film do with those connections are almost completely opposite. When the connection is made in the book, it is at the beginning of The Fellowship of the Ring, when Frodo has this sudden like realization Elrond is telling the stories of the 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 last alliance right and Frodo's listening along as if you know he's just like yeah well this is um I'm getting this story told this is like a cooler version, cooler, more detailed version of this story than I've ever heard. And then Elrond has this little aside where he's like, yes, I remember the banners as they were, you know, on the day that we met. And and Frodo has this holy crap moment where he's like, he's he's like this mind-blown moment. He's like, whoa, you were there? And he actually says it out loud. He's like, oh, I, I thought that was... A long time ago, and and everyone's like, "Yeah, totally yeah. was," and I was there. And by the way, I remember even long back before that. And so the moment that we get is this awe. This like he's this larger than life figure. It distances him oh. from like personal feelings, right? It's like yeah. it is. It, it's about establish like the, the the connection establishes him as this epic figure of story. In the flesh, in front of us, right? Sitting in the room. So
1: far in the other category.
0: Very much of an other. Like, so far other that Frodo can't even parse it, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. he can't even process it. Um, Whereas, when movie Elrond starts going, Oh, I was there, Gandalf, right? What we're getting is his feelings, right? We're getting a window into his personal reactions to things. We're learning about his personality and his psychological profile that helps us to understand him as a person moving forward. And that, as I say, is almost exactly the opposite of what Tolkien accomplishes in the parallel moment, yeah. right? Um, which is, which is, which is fascinating. Which <laughs> is fascinating. And mm-hmm. is, so notice the process that we've come to I, I'm, I'm trying to do something vaguely concluding as we're coming up to the end of our time. Notice, notice this process. By looking carefully at Elrond in the film on his own terms, right? On, on just on the terms of the films and thinking about that, and then thinking about Book Elrond on its own terms, and then comparing and contrasting the two. We've, there's much more we could do to compare and contrast. My feeling is instead of saying well, when you really look at it in context, the differences are much... No, the differences are more profound, actually. Yeah. Like, film Elrond... Like, if the, those two characters are further apart in my head than they were before we did this analysis. And yet... Um, That does not make me feel that like movie Elrond. Like this shows that movie Elrond is even more wrong than I thought at first. (laughs) It's not about that at all. Instead, you get to see like, okay, so what are the choices that they're making? How is that story working? And how do these choices that they're making for Elrond fit into like? How do they work in that story? Right? I mean, I think about, I think back to the more superficial things that like annoyed me in two thousand one right? Like Grumpy Elrond. Grumpy Elrond annoyed me. I was annoyed yeah. by Grumpy Elrond. I'm like, Elrond yeah. is kind as Christmas! You're getting Elrond wrong! Aww. Right? Um, and inst- Which but it would inst- be really
1: hard if yeah. you had a friend who was lovely and then somebody told you they were horrible. That's right. really hard to deal with. So like all <laughs> of these feelings are valid. It's just recognizing that people can see things different ways and they can still be right to those people.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if we seeing how the choices that they're, the different choices that they're making are fitting into the story that they're telling. We can now back up and like in the end, I I feel like comparison and contrast almost breaks down. And again, I'm left with merely having to say, okay, I can appreciate these two stories. They're very different stories and And they're both doing interesting things and they both work on their own grounds really well. Both are good stories. They're very totally. different stories, but, yeah.
1: And that's when it's interesting to just kind of think about what we have to accomplish and how. And you do have more time with a book, you know, and, yeah. and it's not saying we have to sacrifice something. I we have to cut that. But it is a little bit of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do we need from Elrond? We need to not have all of that other and nuance. We need to have, like, impact, which... right. So they're not cheapening the character. No, and they're they're
0: really they're doing different nuance. It's it's not no nuance. They're doing different nuance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's it's. Now, I mean, of course, at the end of the day, it still is okay to try to ask that question. How well does this story fit as an adaptation of the original? But I feel like even after this discussion, we're still not at the point where I'm ready to try to answer that question. That's still not the question. Because I can't take this. Yeah.
1: That's still not the question for me. I don't know.
0: I know. I can't. I hear that. And I am increasingly willing to just let it go and not even ask the question. Um, But I feel like it's... (laughs) I'm willing to ask people to stop calling things right or wrong if they make changes. I'm not willing. I feel like it's too much of an ask to ask people to stop even asking, like, is it faithful at all? Like, is it like what is the relationship between the book and the film?
1: Well, no. And as we've said a million times before, it's really interesting because the things that you balk at are usually where there's something for us to take a look at. You know, so if there's something that makes you go, oh, I love that. And you're going, oh, I hate that oh tell me why i think yes. that scene with aragorn grabbing the sword because like yeah you came at that i didn't know where you were going and it was totally <laughs> different
0: yes absolutely that,
1: and to me that's just a joy you know like i know some yeah. people are so angry when they see somebody with a different perspective but i just think it's so cool when somebody has a different perspective of a moment from a text Granted, I'm on the happy side of this. So if somebody came to me with Susan Cooper's Dark is Rising and said, oh, I love that adaptation, I would struggle. (laughs) I would struggle real hard.
0: Right. Being on the unhappy side of the equation, as you said. Yeah.
1: When you're on the happy side, it's always a little bit easier. So,
0: yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Um,
1: also, Phil said earlier, has Maggie never watched an episode of Exploring Lord of the Rings? Of course I have, Phil. But the whole point was that I was supposed to be able to rein him in. And that's, that's <laughs> not possible. Why on earth does anybody try to have structure? <laughs> Wait, I will say, though, we can do it when we need to. But we don't need to.
0: The point is, <laughs> we have discovered a structure. It's not mm. may not be the structure we thought of in advance but that's okay it's no, as but long, I feel it's a voyage of discovery
1: and i feel so much better with this structure knowing that we had like seven or eight things prepared we yeah. had seven or eight should we have blown through them and panicked and not filled time that doesn't happen but now it doesn't we have seven happen but yeah ready. so
0: yeah. next time we get back to peter jackson we're going to talk about galadriel uh, we're going to think about the Galadriel stuff, and uh, we can also think about Rings of Power, Galadriel, and that way, that's going to be inevitable. Thinking about basically
1: that as what well. we just did today, but we'll do it with Galadriel.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. And then
1: we've got a couple of scenes that we'll talk about as well. But we're not doing Ring Fellowship for right. For a little while. That
0: won't be for a while. So we're, yes. we're not going to we're, we're not going to do next week at all because I'm going to be in Australia next week. So no broadcast next, we'll week. Show next week. The week after we're going is that when we're doing Dune?
1: that's dune so yeah so we have two guests from the signum community that will be joining us so we are going to discuss they've got a book coming out um i think it's critical essays isn't it so we've we've got a copy of that to read through as well as our homework um and we're going to talk about dune adaptation so the more recent one we'll probably reference the other one but i i feel like we should focus on the one that's happening now
0: yeah um yeah we can we can talk about that oh i'll I'll, I'll try to rewatch both the the Lynch Dune and the the recent one again. The the second one comes out this year.
1: I think it's this year. Yeah, I'll just check. I think it's filming, but I feel like I haven't heard anything yeah. about it in a while.
0: Um, just want to make sure I didn't miss it. I do that sometimes. I don't pay attention, so um, I understand. Uh, but yeah, okay. So uh, I'll rewatch Dune Part One, the new yeah. Dune Part One, and I'll rewatch the David Lynch because that's fun. And yeah.
1: um, and we'll then prob- after that, yeah. The next two after that, Corey and I are going to be in the same place.
0: That's right. You're coming back. We're going to be, coming back we're going to in studio New Hampshire. Lab. studio lab. Back to Studio Lab.
1: What's up, gang? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to uh, go visit some family for a bit. And that's nearby Studio Lab. So we're going to do some shows there and we'll see if we can get some special guests. Um, and if not, then we'll bring back um, the next installment of Jackson.
0: Yep. Yeah. Worst case scenario is a GoAdrial discussion from Studio Lab. Um, oh, which is, man. Which is, you know, would be just fine. That does not
1: suck. Just imagine the board <laughs> behind us. So
0: <Only> images. <laughs> oh, man. That's right. We're going to get images on the board from for, for Dune. No, not for Dune. Uh, for, uh, for Jackson stuff after. Awesome. Well, okay.
1: Only if, only if the studio is available. No pressure. No pressure, Studio yeah. Lab.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, the. the they have another one they built another wall since we oh, since man. we filmed uh well rings and realms so we could be in studio b and still well, i know
1: ben's wall watching wall. so noted
0: <laughs> just, just saying
1: just saying thanks, awesome um, that'll be fun
0: awesome very cool okay um so thanks everybody for joining us this was a great i feel like i learned so much today this was really right really back
1: awesome. at you yeah.
0: yeah this is so this fun, is fun to talk about
1: with you and so fun to see the chat with you guys as well so Thanks, everybody, for joining in and being friendly and not crucifying me for not knowing certain things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Very good. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you guys in a fortnight for Dune discussion and then more after that. So thanks, everybody. Bye now.
1: Take care.